0: Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are in the room live, watching live online, later on demand, or listening to our podcast, we're excited to start a new year with you. January is a great time to refocus and re-energize your spiritual journey. God is ready, willing, and more than able to do something new in you this year, and I promise you won't wanna miss out on that. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. Our team loves to challenge, encourage, and equip people just like you to become more like Jesus. There is nothing more important in life than your relationship with Him, and we are committed to helping you grow in your love and devotion to Him. If this is your first time visiting Dayspring, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. We're just like you, imperfect people on a journey. We're allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives. Learning to live like Him. A little more today than yesterday, a little more tomorrow than today. Even if you aren't sure that you're ready to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of His followers. Well, this is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking those same questions and looking for answers too. So I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service.
1: welcome to week three of our 12-week series greater the supremacy of christ through hebrews now we are spending the first several weeks of 2024 unpacking this powerful new testament letter and as we move through our 12 weeks a couple of questions will be answered for us One, uh, what is the place of Christ with regards to our redemption? Hebrews shows us that Jesus is the uniquely begotten, not created, Son of God. And he's now the mediator between us and God. And the second is, how do the covenants of the Old and New Testaments come together? And we'll see that the Mosaic system or Old Testament laws regarding sacrificing animals are no longer binding to Christ followers. We have a new standing before God because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. We do not have to sacrifice a perfect animal to atone for our sin because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice once and for all. And we could say that the law is summed up or completed in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Now, you may have heard the saying, the old is the new concealed and the new is the old revealed. The Old Testament always pointed ahead to Jesus and now he's been revealed. Now, so far we've been unpacking the person of Jesus and we'll do a little more unpacking today regarding the greatness of Jesus and then we'll move into the chapters that teach us about the work of Christ. So the first part of, the chap- of chapter 3 talks about the fact that Jesus is greater than Moses. And most of us would say, well, pff, of course Jesus is greater than Moses. But let's look at the context here. To the Jewish people, Moses would have been considered a great leader. Uh, in fact, the best leader, a hero even. Moses was an incredible leader. Because of his faith, God used him in a mighty way to save the Israelites from Egypt and to usher them into the land of promise. He had a few bumps along the way, but the people still considered Moses as the greatest leader of all time. But just as my leadership doesn't compare to Moses, Moses' leadership does not compare to Jesus. It is appropriate, however, to use Moses as a comparison The readers of Hebrews were very familiar with Moses and the law. And they were tempted to go back to the religious system that they once knew through Moses. And they were heading back to the legalism of the law, away from the freedom that they'd received through Christ. Going back to Moses meant going back to the law. Now, how many of us have said, that's the way we've always done it? Or at least maybe you thought it when a new leader gave you a new way of doing something. It's it's human nature to revert back to the old when we are unsure or confused or just plain don't want to change to that new thing. Just because the old leader was great doesn't mean that the new leader isn't better. Just because the old system is the way we've always done it doesn't mean that the new system isn't better. We always seem to be looking for something better than the present. Greener pastures, so to speak. And sometimes we experience the myth of greener pastures in the past, not the future. Scripture confirms that although Moses was a great leader, Christ is still the leader over Moses. And we are to learn from and appreciate the leadership of Moses, but we are to keep our thoughts fixed on the leadership of Christ. So let's pray together before we dive in. Heavenly Father, your word, let it teach us today. Let it it show us things about ourselves and about you that we didn't recognize or, or realize. Your word is so powerful and we are so grateful that it's right there for us. So God, let us dive in with an awe and wonder and respect for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 3. We'll start uh, verses 1 through 5. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God who appointed him just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, But the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. So verse 1 says that Jesus is the high priest. Now the high priest was the top of the religious leader food chain. This person had the highest human authority for the nation, for the Jewish nation. And the author is teaching that Jesus is now our high priest. That means that he represents God to us. And in declaring him as high priest, we are accepting Jesus not only as as representing God to us, but he represents us before God. And then next we see the analogy of a house and its builder to show how Jesus is greater. Now although Moses and Christ were both faithful to the house of God, they both represented God's interests to God's people, this is where the similarity ends. The Lord Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses because the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. And Moses was part of God's house, Jesus was the builder of that house and every house must have a builder. And we learned in week one of our series that all things were created through, through and by Jesus. Although he was fully man, he's also fully God. Now the term house here refers to both a building and to a household or family. And the phrase, we are his house, refers to the fact that believers in Jesus are the people of God. Moses' relation to God's household was as a servant or administrator of the house. Christ's relationship to the household is that he is the sole heir. Now, this does not diminish the work and the faithfulness of Moses. It does, however, point to the superiority of Christ. Notice there's only one house. There's not a comparison between Moses' house and Jesus' house. That's because there is only one single people of God throughout all of history. Moses was called to shepherd the people for a time, pointing those people toward the fulfillment of the Old Testament, which came in Jesus Christ. Jesus then continued moving God's people along and is still moving God's people along in their spiritual journey of knowing and loving Him wholeheartedly. And we, as followers of Jesus, are a continuation of the original people that were called the people of God. We are part of what is called the Big C Church. Uh, Not only Does Jesus live in believers individually through the Holy Spirit? Together, we are collectively the big C or capital C Church. We are his house. And since we are a continuation of history in God's people, we can't look at the Old Testament as irrelevant to us today. Christ is the fulfillment of promises made to the Old Testament prophets. So we need to pay attention to those prophecies and those stories. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 through 22, I believe, yes, says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple of the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles, us, are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by the Spirit. Now, in today's culture, we think so individually, we don't often consider our role in the body of Christ. I mean, you know, we go to church when it's convenient or when we feel like it, uh, we don't get involved. We, we come in and then we're out before anyone might wanna talk to us. And, and the mentality of I don't need church is pretty common in our society today. But that isn't what the Bible teaches about church. We are the family of God. We are supposed to be working together for a common goal. Encouraging one another when the days are difficult. Celebrating with one another when we have a reason to celebrate. And although our spiritual growth is individual, church was not meant to be an individual thing. It was meant to be the house of God, growing spiritually, individually, and together as a healthy family. Hebrews 3.6 goes on to say, But Christ as a son is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. Now, this may seem to imply that our salvation is dependent on our, our courage and our hope. Um, if that were true, not only would it contradict Scripture regarding salvation, it would nullify Christ's finished work on the cross. The true meaning is that we prove that we are God's house if we hold on to our courage and the hope in which we are confident. Endurance is the proof of our salvation, not the means to it. I mean, everyone has doubts at one time or another. Sometimes we doubt in the bigger and more difficult times, and sometimes they're in the little things, and we still doubt. And when we allow doubts to grow, we begin to see the cup half empty or even become cynical. When doubt in God goes unchecked, it can lead to rebellion. And it will steal the peace that Christ gives us, causing our souls to be in a state of unrest. And our next section today gives us a warning against rebellion and unbelief. Our scripture today includes a quote from Psalm 78 that relates to the rebellion and disbelief of the Israelites during their journey to the promised land. Now, this lesson from history teaches us two things do not rebel and keep the faith, or continue to live in God's promises. Verse seven, that is why the Holy Spirit says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as, the is- as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them and I said, their hearts turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. We can definitely learn from the experience of the Israelites. The Israelites were held in bondage, basically slaves to the Egyptians. They were treated very harshly and God sent Moses to lead them out of their bondage and into freedom. The bondage that the Israelites experienced represents our bondage to sin. God delivered his people out of slavery. He instructed them to put the blood of a lamb over the doorposts so that the the angel of death would pass them by. And through the power of God, his timing, and the blood on the doorposts, the Israelites were delivered from Egypt. And this is the beginning of the exodus from Egypt. The blood on the doorpost represents the blood of Christ who rescues believers from the bondage of sin and rejecting God. It was God's desire that the Israelites enter their place of rest in the promised land. It was not his desire for them to remain in slavery in Egypt. This rest represents a glorious, peaceful life in the land of Canaan. But when it Came time for them to enter Canaan, they saw how difficult it might be and they feared for their lives and they didn't trust God basically and they basically just freaked out because they were afraid. They were afraid and they would rather have gone back to slavery than to move forward in God's plan. They forgot that God did have a plan and He had given them a promise and they allowed fear to take over. I mean, long story short, God gets mad, the Israelites gets disciplined, and and this generation, minus Joshua and Caleb, lose the opportunity to live out their lives in the land where God had promised to give them rest from their enemies and to live peacefully in relationship with God. Now these harsh consequences were not based on one thing. The Israelites had shown their disbelief and rebellion previously several times. And unfortunately, they would continue to do so in the future. The land of Canaan represents the peace and the rest that followers of Christ can experience when we live a life of faith in Christ. In the book of John, John 14, 27, says this. I am leaving you with a gift peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. And Margaret Feinberg wrote, Peace is a word that allures to more than well-being. It's a satisfaction, a fulfillment, and wholeness. This kind of peace isn't based on the absence of something, stress, trials, or hardships, but the presence of someone. This peace manifests as deep, transforming, holistic shalom with God, with others, and within. That's the kind of peace we have when we trust and obey God. The Israelites had seen God's provision over and over again. They had experienced his guidance and his presence, and still they chose rebellion and disbelief. Sound familiar, anyone? Let's carry on with verse 12. Be careful then, dear brothers, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. In scripture, heart, the heart, usually represents the whole self. Our heart represents our thoughts, our emotions, our will. And God's desire is that the truth of who Jesus is and why he came would penetrate our heart, meaning our entire being. Refusal of Jesus or refusal to listen and obey God is deliberate sin. I mean, maybe our ears hear, but our minds don't accept God's truth, nor does our heart respond to it. So... Turning away from the living God in verse 12 is is referring to the Israelites again. In their fear, the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt. And even so, God did not permit them to turn from their old ways. Instead, he disciplined them. He did not allow them to return to their bondage. Although the discipline is often painful and difficult, I am so glad that God does not allow me to return to my Egypt. Now, now the author is warning the Israelites specifically about rebellion and not believing in all that God has done for them in the past. They were and we are to spur one another on and hold firmly to the end, even through our discipline. Verse 16 says, And who was it who rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. When we allow our faith in all that God's done in the past to waver, or when we doubt his promise for our future, this can lead us to rebellion and disobedience. Living a life of rebellion or rejecting God and disobeying his word is a life void of his peace. James 1.6 tells us, But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Now, studies show that doubt can begin to get the best of us. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it doesn't mean that you are immune. Sometimes we can find ourselves in a a place that is so difficult, we're just not sure it's ever going to get any better. And the enemy creeps in and begins to whisper even greater doubt in our ears. And studies show that when we are tired, we are vulnerable emotionally and physically. And it's easier to listen to the lies of the enemy when we're worn down. I mean, that's one reason why it is so important to be in God's word daily. Being in God's word and contemplating what he tells us helps protect us from doubting God's truth and his promises. And I think it's really important to clarify verse 19 it reads God's promise of entering his rest still stands so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. Now remember this rest is referring to the peace that we can have when we live a life of faith and obedience to God and as we move into chapter 4 yes we have another chapter when we move into chapter 4, we'll be looking again at the rest available now to those who choose Jesus. And we'll also look at the eternal rest that is offered to those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus. So let's look at chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4. For this good news, this, that God has prepared this rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them. <clears throat> but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. Now in week one, we talked about fear in the sense of awe and wonder and rightful respect of God. And here the word fear is more about rightful respect and consequences that come from disobedience and lack of faith. Now, we're still referring to the Israelites when they disobeyed God and lost the opportunity to live at peace with their enemies in a land flowing with milk and honey. God offered them rest, and they refused it. They were so close to the promised land, they could actually see it. They still disobeyed and lost, their, lost faith. This rest is the rest that we can experience today because of our faith in Christ. for we're here at verse 7 I'm sorry verse 2 If you are interested in the full story of the Israelites and and the Exodus and all of those things, you can find that in Numbers 13, 14, and 20. And, you know, anyway, we're we're gonna move on to verse seven here in just a minute. But in, in the Genesis account of creation, God worked for six days, and then he rested on the seventh day. And after creating everything in and around, on everything in earth, he rested. He rested. And the author goes back to the creation account of Genesis and to Psalm 95, 11. After creation, God rested. He ceased his work. And one commentator, uh, this is the piece and the type of rest that God is offering to us in a relationship with him. And one commentator suggests that the thought of God at rest with open arms waiting for inviting us to have intimate communion with him. Now, when I think of rest, I picture a, a beautiful setting in nature. It's usually a, a, a tropical scene or some body of water or at the beach. And in this setting, I can just breathe and let go of the responsibilities and sit in gratitude for all that, is given, that God has given me. And as beautiful as this might be, It is nothing compared to the intimate communion God desires for us to have with him. Let's pick it up in verse 7. So God set another time for entering his rest and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today when you hear his voice do not harden your hearts. If Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there's a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. So here we begin to see that there's both a right now rest and a not yet rest in the future. We currently rest in Christ in the present and yet we yearn for the ultimate rest that is waiting for us in heaven. The real promised land for all who surrender their lives to Christ. This disobedience here is referring primarily to refusing to follow God. And there is yet another warning Do not harden your hearts. Now, when we think of our own lives or choices to trust and obey God, I'm not sure we always recognize when our hearts have become hard. You know, a hard heart in a believer is basically a heart that's unwilling to grow. We can even begin to blame others for our lack of insight. Our issues are someone else's fault or unwilling to ask God to reveal our blind spots and help us to heal and grow through them. A hardened heart for a non-believer has no need for Jesus, a relationship with Jesus because they can handle everything on their own. And I have to call it is, what it is, that and both for believers, it's pride. You know, when we think that we don't need God, that is pride. And if you, if you feel like you don't need a relationship with Jesus, oh, I would challenge you to just ask God, are you real? Do I need you? And if you ask that question in all honesty and humility, he will answer you in a way that's personal to you. Sometimes people are hesitant to surrender because there's a fear of what they might have to give up or that you'll be different in a bad way, not a good way. Again, test the waters. See what happens. Let's not put off examining our hearts and reflecting about our own attitude toward Jesus. This is so important. We're not saved by obedience. Salvation is a gift from God and it cannot be earned. Our obedience is a litmus test of our faith. Is our faith real? Believers are recognized by their fruit. By the way they live and the faith that they experience. And doing our best is about putting effort into our relationship with Jesus. We put forth effort because of the gift we've received and because we recognize his love for us. Our effort is about gratitude and for that gift and investing in the most important relationship we will ever experience. Let's wrap up our passage with Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Now the author is not suddenly changing topics here. We've been warned that we should obey God. Now these two verses explain why we should listen and obey. God's word is living. It is active. It is powerful and it's always true and it's always trustworthy. God's word is personal. The Bible isn't just a book to read about history. It is that, but it's so much more. It's more than a reference tool. When we encounter the Word of God, we are encountering God himself. God's Word is where we meet him, learn from him, are encouraged by him, and have fellowship with him. Theologian John Frame writes, When we encounter the Word of God, we encounter God. His Word, indeed, is His personal presence. Whenever God's Word is spoken, read, or heard, God Himself is there. We encounter God's presence when we spend time in His Word. The Bible is a personal, living book. God's primary way of meeting and interacting with His people is through his written word. God's word is powerful. It doesn't just say things, it does things. It shows us the truth of God which works in us, changing us and building us up. It convicts us of our need to change and it encourages us to grow. It exposes our dark areas and gives us light and wisdom showing us the next step on our spiritual journey with God. God's word is penetrating. Not only is is it a way to get to know God, it is a way to get to know ourselves. God shows us who we really are when we seek his word with a heart of humility, ready for growth. So in a nutshell, let's... Surrender to God. You know We tend to look for greener pastures either in our future or back in our past. And when it comes to looking for something better than what God is giving us, it's a myth. If we're experiencing less than desirable times, it's for our good, not for our bad. God is working in us in those times. So how about we just surrender to the now? Obey his commands and have faith in his promises. Let's intentionally cultivate our relationship with him. Let's treat his word with respect and wonder and a desire to meet with him in it. Let's remember that when we are in his word, we are encountering the Lord of the universe, the Lord of the universe that wants an authentic, passionate relationship with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, we repent of taking this opportunity for granted. God, your majesty and your splendor, your wonder, your power, your grace, your love for us is so beyond our comprehension. And yet you patiently wait. And we thank you for discipline. We thank you that you don't let us go back to our Egypt. We thank you that it's hard sometimes because if it wasn't hard, sometimes we would, at least for me, ignore all too often who you are in my life. And so God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you and and we, we give you full permission to draw us near to you in whatever way that takes because the relationship with you is the most important relationship that we can experience. Thank you, Lord, amen.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's word begin to shape your life as you grow to be like Jesus. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen or you can call the church during the week. If you are just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. We count it a privilege to play a small part in God's perfect work in you today. The people who call Dayspring their home church make this ministry possible. Their faithful giving is proof of God's work in their lives and they wanna pay it forward so you can experience the same life-changing presence of Jesus. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail us a check at the address you'll find on our website. Until we meet again, I am praying that God will give you opportunities to use your influence for the glory of his kingdom. One easy way to do that is to share this service with your friends and family. If this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. All of these simple acts of kindness on your part, God uses to plant seeds in other people's lives. So keep sowing.